0: This is Manish, and I'm Jesse Rhodes. So a priest, a rabbi, and a therapist walk into a bar. They each pull out a microphone and start recording a podcast. Only one turns out to be any good. The others, so-so. Today I'm going to play an episode of that podcast. An episode I co-produced. Find out who I collaborated with. A priest? A rabbi? A therapist? Stay tuned.
1: Usually, if you go look at elections, a guy with the better head of hair, is more likely you want to win. Oh, is that right? Yeah, think of presidential elections. Last time we had bald guys running was Eisenhower and Stevenson. Hi,
2: this is Lily Sloan, and you're listening to A Therapist Walks Into a Bar, a podcast that brings therapy
0: to you. With the amount of things I've gone through in my adult life, that's the least of my fucking worries. I have friends that are like 22 years old, that lost all their hair. Hair, fantastic human beings. If I can actually see, walk, use my hands. Hair or not doesn't matter.
1: Hair is power and in sex in, in the minds of people who are interested in power and sex. So
2: if I say body image, what do you think of? Thigh gap, stomach fat, laser hair removal. I'm guessing you're probably thinking about women, which makes sense because women have a lot of pressure on them to look a certain way. But this does also happen to men, and I think that's worth talking about.
1: Gavin Newsom's head of hair is going to win him any election that he gets. <laughs> he's going to be our next senator. He's going to be our next
3: hey, senator. if you've got a butt ton of money and this is going to make you feel, you know, more secure in life and walking around, why not? More power to you. I think you could use your $20,000 to something better. Go out there and do an amazing vacation.
2: If you haven't guessed yet, I'm honing in on one aspect of men's body image, hair loss. And I'm so stoked because I got to collaborate with an incredible podcast called Manish, a show all about masculinity and gender. Joining me is its host and creator, Jesse Rhodes.
0: Hi.
1: Hi. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here.
2: So at the start of the show, we heard this guy.
1: I'm uh, Sheldon Kabacher. I'm a physician in Oakland, California. I practice facial plastic surgery with an emphasis on hair restoration work, both reconstructive and cosmetic.
2: And Jesse, I think you had something you wanted to share with me about your interview with Dr. Kabacker. Uh,
1: yeah. I. So I was pretty
0: skeptical about this story at first. You and I met to brainstorm some ideas And you told me about these guys you had known, young guys, who were really insecure about losing hair. And I was like, really? I mean, is that really true? Are there a lot of guys like that? And then I went to interview Dr. Kabacher. And we were talking about procedures and celebrities.
1: As most men, hair recedes as they get older.
0: And then I felt his eyes on my hairline. And before I could register what was happening, he took his finger and put it on my forehead.
1: Like you, for instance, you've got some recession here. It's probably heredity, and you didn't have that when you were 16. Right. Yeah.
0: Did you catch that? He said, You've got some recession here.
4: You've got some
1: recession recession.
0: here. You've got some recession here. And frozen chills went down my spine. I had all of this internal panic.
2: You didn't know about it already?
0: I mean, I did, but uh, I thought it was so subtle no one noticed. And then he homed his eyes in on my hairline and saw it. It was like that moment in a horror movie when the killer sees you hiding and makes eye contact. Oh, God.
2: Jesse, it's really not that noticeable. But your anxiety about it doesn't surprise me. You know, it's really vulnerable, I think especially for men, to talk about the things they're insecure about. That doesn't mean that those insecurities aren't there, though. This guy we spoke with at the bar actually did open up with us about the humiliation he felt when he realized that he just couldn't cover up his balding
5: anymore. The last time I ever had hair, I was walking to the subway, and my hair was combed over, and it was like, pretty much I just had, I had all the hair around like the crown of my head. And it was just growing long along one side, and it just kind of all flopped over. And so I'm walking to the subway, and the wind blows, and it, it blows it back. And an old man laughs at me. And granted, it's like an old man laughing at a 23-year-old for his comb over. So pretty much I decided at that point um, that I would go home immediately and shave it all off.
4: <laughs>
0: oh, man, that's, that's pretty bad. But I get it. I mean, I spoke with a hairdresser about this.
3: My name's Morgan Brown. I am a men's stylist.
0: And she specializes in men's haircuts. She has guys, like young guys in their 20s, come to her all the time freaking out about their hairline. Yeah,
3: it's, it's the younger ones that are yeah, really emotional. I, I had one actually call me frantically one day. He's like, I need to come see you for like two minutes. I ne- am I balding? Am I balding? Someone told me I'm balding. Hmm. So
0: he wanted you to, like, like look and, and give your, like, opinion about yes. whether or not he was receding? Yes. Could you tell?
3: He was fine. He was fine? <laughs> I didn't see anything, no signs. He looked fine.
2: Yeah. And if you had any doubt about men's insecurity about their hair, watch an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm or Seinfeld. Or even just browse around on YouTube.
0: Okay, this is urgent. I just got a question that freaked me the fuck out. Someone asked me, Joe, are you going bald? That's like the worst thing, not the worst thing, but one of the worst things I ever want to hear.
2: That's Joe, uh, my dad and up, he's standing uh, in front of a mirror holding a camcorder. He's my super ripped, and he's good. covered in tattoos, and he's totally freaking out. The video is called WTF Am I Going Bald? Question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point.
0: But the thing is, like every time I go get my hair cut, they're always telling me, oh, you have the thickest hair. You'll never have to worry about going bald. I'm like, freaking sweet. But yeah, on the video, it looks as though I have this big-ass bald spot right here. So I don't know. Does it look like I am? Kind of freaking out right now. This sucks. I'm only 24. Yeah. I, I mean, what feels so hard about it is that it's happening before it's socially acceptable. Um, like if this were an older guy, he might have an easier time accepting it. But if you're only 24, I mean, yikes.
2: Well, we're talking about insecurity. And this is a show about therapy, so I have to ask. Would you consider talking about it with a therapist? Like, if it were between therapy and some kind of scalp treatment, which would you choose?
0: God, I knew this question would come. I don't know. I guess it would feel weird going to therapy. Oh, yeah? I mean, it's so trife. Like, part of me would be super upset that I was going bald, but another part of me would know it is such a petty concern. I think I'd hate myself for caring.
2: And yet you care.
0: And yet I care.
2: Yeah, that's what we're going to try to unpack here. The emotional underside of your dome. So the episode has two parts. In part one, we're going to look at the thriving hair loss industry. And part two, we're going to look at the underlying motivations that drive men to take drastic measures and also how maybe, just maybe, we can approach this differently.
0: I know, I know a friend of mine, he was losing his hair. He's maybe about eight years older than me. Um, seven acres, um, and he got implants. He spent some money, and now has a head of hair, and he looks great. And it makes him feel better, ba- you know. And it's about like him himself. I know it's about him looking like in the mirror and feeling better about himself. So that's you know.
3: One of my clients, we went out for drinks afterward, and he started telling me the woes of becoming older. And he was 40 and still dating and taking Propecia to grow hair, but then the Propecia has side effects, so then he's taking Viagra for the side effects, and the Viagra caused a migraine, which, then he's taking medicine for the migraine, which causes an ulcer. (laughs) All for the sake of having some hair, yeah.
0: And what did he end up deciding to do about it? After the ulcer, you know, discovering the ulcer.
3: He kept taking it. Oh my God, no.
4: (laughs)
0: Is he okay? Is he
1: alive? I
3: haven't seen
1: him in a while. I don't know. ...finasteride... ...propecia... ...low-level laser therapy... ...TRP, which is platelet-rich plasma... ...laser comb device...
4: Fill-in powders... and scalp micropigmentation... ...weaves, wigs... ...laser helmet devices... ...extensions... ...hair fibers, which is like a
1: little powder... ...surgery...
6: ...surgery... ...surgery... ...surgery...
0: So if you want to retain your hair... There's a pill called Propecia, and then of course, there's a lotion called Rogaine. If you want to cover it up, there's the age-old solution of using a wig. If you want to feel like you're in a sci-fi book, you can wear a laser helmet that stimulates hair growth, or you can get plasma-rich blood injected into your scalp. Some people even get their scalps tattooed to look like stubble. And then, of course, there's transplants, which have been around for decades but only recently started to look any good. In fact, according to the International Society of Hair Restoration Surgery, $2.5 billion was spent on those surgeries in 2014. And if we include things like Propecia and Rogaine, that number would be much higher. So to better understand this thriving world of male cosmetics, and hair transplants in particular. I went back to someone who has a lot of experience in this area. Is it okay if I close the door? Just for sound's sake?
4: Welcome. You've got mail.
0: Dr. Kabacher. The plastic surgeon we heard from earlier. Dr. Kabacher is something of a big name in the industry. He's been practicing for over 40 years. His office is located next to a noisy alley near downtown Oakland. And the hallway of this office is decorated with these sculpture paintings, bare-breasted, paint-splattered women emerging from blank canvases. He tells me he bought these on a cruise ship. Inside Dr. Kabaker's office are photographed portraits of current and former golden retrievers, a human skull, a small metal sculpture of a surgeon working over a patient and a computer screen which displays America online. Dr. Kabakar is 77 years old. Oh, and one more thing. Radio, so for people who can't see you, you are bald. Um, and how do you... Uh, have you ever considered it doing it yourself?
2: Wait, he's bald?
1: Yes,
0: like really bald.
2: But he opted out of a transplant.
1: Yes, I did. Many years ago, one of my, my teachers... Uh, uh, was a very prominent hair transplant surgeon in LA and uh, he, I asked him about a transplant, I said, oh you're going to be very bald, you'll have to have a lot of work done keep it very long and comb it backward, and then I was thinking gee, I was, you know, around 30, 31, and uh, either if I didn't get a full head of hair, I'd, I'd do without it mm. and I'm glad I didn't have it done then because I'd be one of those old pluggy cases that they'd have to touch up and modernize and and have to keep my hair very long.
2: He's not making a very good argument for transplants. Isn't that like a chef who won't eat his own cooking?
0: Right. But back when he was younger, transplants still had that pluggy doll's head look to them. Now, like I mentioned, transplants are
1: surprisingly convincing.
2: You think that would have changed his decision?
1: Probably. Mm. Uh, If someone could say they could move uh, 3,000 or 4,000 foot-unit grafts in two sessions, I probably would have had it done.
2: Okay, fair enough. He might do it. But I got to say, his probably sounded pretty hesitant to me.
0: Right. So I did. I prodded him and asked him to make a case for cosmetic surgery. My co-host for this episode is, um, uh, she's a therapist. Mm -hmm. So she really has this, mindset that it's, you know, accept your accept your body and accept aging, don't fight it kind of thing. So what do you say to people who, well, I, you
1: know? I'll keep the language clean. It's, it's the absolute opposite of what my uh, work has been throughout my life.
2: <laughs> Did he just have to restrain himself from swearing at me? I kind of love him.
1: We have to have the right person for it, but I've seen people just turn around 180 degrees and go on with their life when they get something taken care of. You look in the mirror and you see a shadow of your former self where you get some of it back. Why not?
0: So for Dr. Kabacher, everyone does this, including you and me. It's just a part of being human.
1: So it's self-image, feeling good about yourself, feeling positive, why you get good grooming, why you choose a particular bit of clothing, a car that you get. Uh, Hair does identify you. And this really
0: made me think. I mean, I already do small grooming stuff. Like, I put mousse in my hair and I shave the area between my eyebrows. Because, well, frankly, I just can't with the unibrow. And I certainly buy clothing that, I think, makes me look sharp. I mean, I might not ever do something as drastic as, like, hair surgery. But I think I get it more now. Like, there's this spectrum of self-image and we're all on it somewhere. And who am I to judge someone who cares about their scalp as much as I care about my unibrow? I mean, if it makes you happy, why not? Life's short.
1: This is why people uh, do bodybuilding while they, they buy expensive clothes and tailor things. It's, um, human beings are human beings. They mm. each want to do the best they can and be attractive and be positive and successful. And appearance is part of that in most people.
2: So, before we move on, Jesse, I know you learned a lot about the wacky history of hair loss treatment. Even more evidence that this is something that's bothered men throughout civilization. So, what are some of the strangest things people have tried?
0: Yes. Okay, so, to name a few, here we go. Hippocrates applied sheep's urine to his bald spot. A first century physician recommended boiling live snakes and using the broth. Lovely. Physicians in the 1800s believed that the pool of blood in scalp blisters would nourish the hair roots.
2: No. No, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah.
0: I know. And one of my favorite theories—this one's about the cause of hair loss—is the beard-induced overheating of the skull.
2: Oh, yikes. That does not bode well for the hipsters.
0: Nope. Certainly does not.
4: my name is Mm do that um i'm rob shane i'm a marriage and family therapist and certified group psychotherapist my focus in my practice has been uh very much related to men's issues and i do a lot of men's work i run a few men's groups
2: so here's the part where i bring in some therapists to talk about hair loss what might be happening on a deeper level for those experiencing it and how to work with that so when i asked rob about this he talked about vitality
4: yeah the vitality i guess is the word that we're using and Mm -hmm. that word describes a few different things the hair it's maybe sexuality even Mm -hmm. it's it's life force that when you're teens and 20s it's really powerful and it just really starts to change. And I think, of course, balding in some way shows us that too early sometimes. It's like, oh, shit, this is going to change. And it is changing. And I'm going to change. And oh, what does that mean about me? Who am I?
2: There's all this really intense stuff that we can connect to hair loss. But I'm just curious how, yeah, if you've kind of seen it show up with the men that you work with individually or in the groups talking about insecurities about the way that they look no really
4: no that does not happen very often
2: interesting
4: i do not think men are comfortable doing that
2: i yeah i was gonna say i know that they are feeling those i have (laughs) a very good
4: sense that they are yeah and that does not tend to get talked about yeah Wow,
2: I wonder what what do you imagine they do with that with those insecurities?
4: They tuck it away. They maybe don't acknowledge it too often. Themselves.
2: And here's another colleague of mine.
7: My name is Molly Merson, and I'm a psychotherapist in Berkeley, California.
2: And Molly happens to specialize both in working with body image issues. And grief and loss. Um,
7: And I think that men are conditioned and socialized to be the ones who are supposed to be in control of their body, of their emotions, um, including the body of money and work. Um, So, like, I think when a man starts to lose his hair, he starts to lose that feeling of control and potency It's a pretty scary proposition to feel like you have all this responsibility, a lot of which is culturally endowed, but none of the control. Hair loss is part of that. I'd absolutely include balding as a loss, not just of hair and the person that you're used to seeing in the mirror, but a psychic loss of control, a reminder of change, entropy, and ultimately death.
0: (laughs) Whoa. Shit just got real. Yep. So, you're talking about the underlying emotions and the, and and like fears that come up along with hair loss.
2: Exactly. You made a case for hiding hair loss and how we all do things to look more attractive, like shaving, to pay surgery, if you have the kind of money. We heard the "why not if it makes you happy" argument. So now we're gonna dig into the value of really looking at this stuff before we just jump to fix the problem.
0: Okay, let's hear it.
5: You know, for me, the biggest worry about not having hair was always like, well, am I gonna get girls? Right, tell me more about that. Um, It doesn't make a difference. Like, I think most women don't care. A lot of, I've heard from a number of women where they're like, oh yeah, I don't care, my dad was bald. Maybe I'm only meeting women who had bald dads, and it's like some Freudian kind of thing.
6: Yeah, so my name is Jordan Wolf. Uh, I'm a licensed mental health counselor.
2: Jordan is based out of Seattle.
6: And uh, I work a lot with midlife transition or midlife crisis, but... No one wants to identify it that way unless they're really deep in. So also,
2: awesome. Jordan is bald.
6: I just thought, you know, there's something there's something in me it wasn't well formed, but there's something in me that wanted to accept that does want to accept where I'm at. And and, you know, realizing from the, the bird's eye view that we're all gonna get older, most of men are gonna lose their hair to some degree. Ultimately, you know, we're going that direction. And so I don't, I think for me where I've, I've kind of thought about and around that line of like, how much do I do to uh, enhance my appearance cosmetically? And how much do I, how much do I just say, you know, this is, this is a fact of life.
2: You know, this idea of self-image was mentioned, but what is self-image even about? We're on this endless quest to be unconditionally loved, like just as we are. But even in those very early human interactions, we learn to manipulate all kinds of things in order to try to make ourselves more lovable.
0: So it's like little baby Jesse's is born and he says, love me. And then it's like, I don't feel loved enough. Maybe it's my unibrow. Um,
2: you had a unibrow as a baby?
0: Uh, never mind.
2: No, it's it's a good point. Um, so Brene Brown, you may have seen her TED Talks on vulnerability. She writes a lot about shame, which can certainly come up around physical attributes. She likes to distinguish between belonging and fitting in. What we really need is to belong, which means being accepted as we are. But for all kinds of reasons, society, family, biology etc., we instead try to change ourselves to fit in.
0: Uh, That's a really different thing. It's like if my unibrow...
2: Jesse! Enough with the unibrow. I thought
0: therapists were supposed to let you talk.
2: I am so sorry. You're right. Do you want to process this? No. Fine. Okay. So I could be wrong, but I suspect that anyone who's willing to pay 20k plus for hair transplants on some level, is feeling like his worthiness depends on it, and that's what's problematic. When I think about the cost of the surgery and the kinds of access and privilege necessary to get it, and then the privilege that comes with having that full head of hair, I wonder, like, what kinds of emotional growth gets skirted? What skills do we end up lacking as a result of not having to deal with loss and change like most people? Like, do we end up with even more fragile egos?
7: We don't get our everything all the time. Um, we have to have boundaries and like loss and goodbye so that we can have a hello again. It's a coming together and a pulling away and a coming together.
2: Eventually, no matter how much money or privilege you have, you still can't have everything you want. At most, you're applying some kind of Band-Aid, like postponing the inevitable. You're still going to die.
0: Sure, but why not shoot for a better quality of life while you're still alive?
2: Well, I mean, I agree, but what's going to give you a better quality of life? Full head of hair for 20K or learning to endure and even embrace change?
7: I mean, I guess in thinking about hair loss, like it's a part of this shift of every day we're a little different, and much of that has nothing to do with our own conscious intentions about who we are or um where, where we want to be in our life. Um, sometimes, yes, absolutely. They, you know, you put work in and you can often get something for that. Um, but that's not always how it works. And, um, you can't really prepare for loss. You just have to experience it and hope that you can find resilience in your community, in your, uh, you know, your chosen people, in your family, in yourself. Um, To be able to work with that.
4: Hmm.
0: It sounds like she's saying, talk it out with your friends.
2: Yeah. I mean, in a way. She's saying the best antidote to loss is actually in our relationships with other people, like in community. And that's kind of what therapy is all about. It's like building this resilience to change and loss, all these things that are out of our control, through human connection, through learning how to feel like you actually belong somewhere. And then in that place, you can build more awareness around these beliefs and these emotions that drive us to do the things we do to feel like we belong.
0: Interesting. So how many years of therapy before I can stop showering?
2: (sighs) I'm not proposing that everyone just stop taking showers or anything else they do to groom themselves or modify their bodies. But if you understand your motivations a little better, you can pause and ask yourself, is this worth it? What am I trying to get out of this? Is there something deeper I'm missing here? Am I caught in a hamster wheel of self-rejection? Finding those answers for yourself isn't easy. And as therapists, we tend to lean towards self-acceptance as a way towards a better life. This doesn't mean that people don't work to improve themselves. It's just, how do you even know where to start if you're so caught up in the anxiety of it all?
4: If I I wasn't able to be loving towards the changes that I'm going through, I think it would be a big challenge. And what I mean by that, if I can put words to it, um, I feel myself getting wiser with age and expanding in other ways outside of this vital energy that has been expanded primarily through my body or through my looks. So I'm stepping out in the world in a, in a different way, in a different capacity that I feel proud of. That, so I don't really need to feel proud of my body or my looks so much. It's kind of, there's a different feeling of worth, I guess, that I am discovering in myself that doesn't have to do so much with that.
6: Uh, I think I think my, the confidence in people uh, is attractive. And, and, and so I think there's something about giving our allegiance and putting our value and identifying with our, our inherent um, psychological, emotional, mental strengths, our qualities, and the felt sense in our body of confidence. I think that's, that's to me how I kind of, in a way, move beyond that whole question of like, do I look good or not? Well, it depends on when you get me, or it depends on whose standard.
7: You know, accept it is kind of a um, easier said than done type of thing, but it is a part of that. It's a part of really being able to name. Yes, we we live in loss all the time to different varying degrees of um, direct loss, complex loss, systemic loss. Pain, violence, all these things, Um, projections from, you know, the outside world uh, about who we are, who we're allowed to be. It's just part of being human.
2: So did I change your mind?
0: Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel I feel like I could go bold right now. And seriously, I could be fine. Um, But then, you know, fast forward a couple months and those same fears about my body might come right back. And then Propecia might start looking really good again.
2: Well, nothing's really ever permanent. Not even your resolve.
0: Yeah. Do they have a pill for that?
2: Thank you so much for listening. For more of Jesse, please check out Manish on iTunes or SoundCloud.
0: Special thanks to our guests Morgan Brown, Dr. Gabacher, Dr. Bernard P. Nussbaum, Dr. Ron Shapiro,
2: Rob Shane, Jordan Wolf, Molly Merson, and the strangers at the bar.
0: Thank you, Shoshana Walter, for editorial support.
2: And Hofer M. Lewis for the music. Links to all these amazing people are available at atherapistwalksintoabar.com. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show and leave a review in iTunes.
0: This episode was brought to you by Unibrow No More, a hair wax removal formula made especially for your forehead. I personally use this product, and I've never looked or felt better.
2: Plus, it's like totally a great way to keep suppressing your fear of dying alone. Hey,
0: get out of my commercial. No! Okay.